Data from China and Europe continues to get only worse. We're seeing Country Garden barely make their payment on the on the loans that they're required. And we're seeing a lot of softening of all of the data there. What will that mean for the United States? Does it mean that we could see a breakout in the gold market? What does it mean for Bitcoin? And is the dollar finally about to break out to the upside? We have a lot to talk about here on Macro Monday on a Tuesday. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I am Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit the like button. Yes, it's Macro Monday on a Tuesday. Yesterday was Labor Day in the United States. And so all of us were pretending not to work and pretending to be on vacation when in reality, we were probably all just looking at the news and trying to figure out what was going on with the markets. But without further ado, I'm going to bring on my three co-hosts, Dave, Mike, and James, gentlemen. Good morning. I hope that you all had a uh, wonderful holiday. I missed working, to be honest. I woke up on Monday and I thought, <clears throat> I need to hear what these guys have to say to get my tone <laughs> set for the week. So it was a good idea, I think, for us to run it back on Tuesday. I'm going to dive right in. Mike, is gold about to pump? That was uh, the topic that we have here. And the idea of that came from something that you wrote, uh, obviously. So I'll just let you talk about why you think that gold could be potentially ready to break out. Yeah, so it's still one of my base cases, one of the best performing assets in the near term couple of years is gold. The price you see on the screen in terms of dollars is 1933. I have to say 1933 because some of us remember that as the significant year ever for gold and assets. That's when basically President Franklin Delano Roosevelt devalued the dollar versus gold and it bottomed deflation and depression. It bottomed the stock market in terms of dollars and it ended deflation. Why? Because we just devalued versus gold. But here, that price right now is the average price for the year, and that's the highest average price ever. So I look at that as, okay, that might fit into that mantra, you know, I love, but if it goes up, it's going to keep going up. Well, gold is appreciating. And the bottom line is how you measure it versus fiat currencies. And if you measure the dollar versus a basket of fiat currencies, the dollar basically goes up over time. Why? There's nothing better. If you measure gold in terms of any currency, it almost always goes up over time because they're fiat currencies, in particular the dollar. And that's where Bitcoin fits in. Bitcoin's just a much more digital version. So um, the thing that we mentioned earlier, we want to talk about a little bit, is I've been writing about China a lot, and that is, um, you know, I view China as a, yeah, so there you see that chart. That's a triple top. And the lessons I learned in the trading pits is triple tops are made to be broken. Um, and a huge it, cup and handle. <laughs> yeah, however <laughs> you want to look at it. And there's so many cool different ways to look at it, but it's just also, it's, okay, those are technicals. Technicals can really rip you apart sometimes. It's the fundamental foundation behind it. It's very simple. That's gold in measured in dollars. We all know at home happens over time. That's part of the reason for Bitcoin is there's an unlimited supply of dollars and there's a very limited supply of gold. Next question. So just the question when, how, and, and the key thing is the major competition for gold right now is 5.4% in um, T-bills. It's you know, we haven't seen that in 20 years. The stock market's still going up. That's going to flip. Just a question of time. And that's when gold takes off. That's my view. But I like to tip that over to the, the macro. Now, that's gold. If we want to tip a little bit into what we talked earlier about China, I'm, I'm good with that. But that's the basics for gold. It's also the basis for Bitcoin. The problem is, my and I'll end with this, is Bitcoin has just gone up so far, so much, 
and the basis for it going up has reversed, and that is um, very low interest rates. So uh, the average interest rate for the last 10 years, for most of um, Bitcoin's existence from 2011 to 2021, was half a percent in U.S. And most of the lot of rest of the world, it was negative. Now, if I just look at this November Fed funds future, it's going to go up to 5.44%. Those are major headwinds. Yeah, Can I ask a dumb no, question, Mike? Why is it that gold, which yields nothing, compared to 5% interest that you constantly talk about, is going to explode upward while Bitcoin, which yields nothing, but uh, it is, is where it will go up, in your opinion? What, why do you think gold goes up and Bitcoin uh, goes down with the stock market, considering uh, the investment theses. I, I think I know the answer, but I want it to be explicit. Yeah. This, this is, it is literally the knife edge where you and I disagree. Well, it's actually, we do agree in the longer term. It's, it's the essence of being a market person like I am. When you look at the market, you talk to clients and everybody you know, everybody you speak to is bullish and the market's already gone up. You have to be very careful. That's why we've been- agree. So, so that's but, I'm careful. But, that, but, but, but stop there for one second, I, I, because that's not true. I mean, you know, sentiment in in Bitcoin is is decidedly not bullish. Uh, you know, numerically, it we're closer to fear than we are to greed. Uh, we see it, it; it's there. So, so let's just take that one and put it off to the side. I, I just I, I want to be very clear. I mean, you know, because what we've seen, we've seen it in in, in 2008. We saw it extremely clearly. You and I remember that if in fact the stock markets go kaboom gold it took gold three months at that time before gold bottomed after the stock markets went kaboom and then it started going up do you think it'll be different this time so that typically if we do have that kind of correction gold went from a thousand in the beginning of 2008 down to 700 30 percent correction and then it peaked at 1900 2011 that could happen again i fully expect that's the risk um the difference is if you look at gold versus bitcoin was compared to two bitcoin trades about three times the volatility of gold so if bit if gold drops 30 percent, bitcoin's dropping 67 80%. Now, hopefully that won't happen in the near term. The, the, the key point is you basically need some form of wealth destruction, I think. And that's happening in China. Um, it's slow. It's happening. It's been happening in some risk assets like Bitcoin. And it's been happening in the equity market. It's clearly happening in housing. And the question I keep pointing out and keep pointing out is these are somewhat bodies in motion for a one good positive reason. The number one reason should be for all risk assets is liquidity. The liquidity is be still being taken away from the Fed. So now we get through this August period. We're going to September. We all know that the average price of Bitcoin in uh, September since 2011 is down 6.5% in September. Now, of course, that includes some months that are down 26%. So if you exclude, I think it was, I can check on my map and check that out but it's the it's that headwind that's overwhelming that's what i have to keep emphasizing is until we or unless we get this liquidity pump turned back on which just give you the two last significant bottoms in the stock market happened about a year and a half almost two years after the federal reserve started easing that was in 2009 they started easing in 2007 and in 2002 they started easing in 2001 bitcoin is the leading indicator in that space and gold is the old guard technology that has been the store of value over time. So I always, when I measure like different commodities, some commodity people get upset me with, with me when I point out, well, I'm glad you like 
this index and that index and energy and agriculture, but historically over time, they always underperform versus gold. And this is what's happening now, I think, as we get towards this inflection point that we're gonna see this leading indicator Bitcoin, it's basically fitting into my narrative, one of the biggest economic resets of our lifetimes, the last few months. If it continues this path, which I expect it will, to show that relative weakness, everything falls at lower. Now, if it can sustain above 30,000 and show some divergent strength versus a stock market that's not doing so well, maybe I'll change my, my tone, but it's still that mode that I'm concerned about is, after we've had all this ETF stuff, and I just wanna kinda of end with this, this ETF stuff is things that we predicted five years ago, it's just getting there. I love when my colleagues dig into the weeds of this, James Seifert, Eric Falchunas, but we discussed when we launched the Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index in 2018, the primary goal is to be tracked by ETFs. It's still not happening. We're just getting there with baby steps. And now we've found that in the last few months, it might be happening sooner rather than later. But the thing is, you have to understand is, I think, point out is, this thing called Bitcoin has been underperforming on a risk-adjusted basis for almost a couple of years now. To get that traditional money to go from equity to Bitcoin, to go from anything, it's got to at least show some signs of value at risk um, um, outperformance, and it's not. I'm just pointing right. out the facts of money management. I think the only disagreement is whether Bitcoin then is going to be digital gold now or later, or whether it's a risk yeah. asset. I, I do want to yeah. point out one thing, Mike, because uh, Eric Crown, who I've had on the show quite a few times, pointed out the uh, quad witching, which I had literally never heard of which is that yes. basically on September 15th, you have this massive expiration stock index futures, stock index options, stock options, and single stop future derivatives all at the same time. But he pointed out actually that all of that September downside that we've seen generally happens in this two weeks and basically flips at the quad witching. I can't say whether that's true or not, but the down September narrative is actually more the first half of September and the back half of September, if you split those up, has not generally been bad. I just wanted to point that out. Look, I, I have to say one thing. Look, having spent way too long uh, running quantitative trading operations and doing prop trading, I can tell you that we're using such a statistically insignificant data sample to, in fact, every single thing that, that, that Mike was saying is based off statistically insignificant data. I mean, literally, uh, Bitcoin volatility, is, you're looking in the rearview mirror of an asset that trades like an option. And I've said this a bazillion times. The fact is that that underlying fundamentals and the way people do adoption will matter and mean that the future volatility will be different. I mean, look, we, I expect it to go up by 20x. So, yeah, of course, I expect it to be volatile in the sense that if I expect it to go up by 20x. But looking backward to call it a bad risk adjusted asset is silly. Uh, you know, the fact is, I saw a stat this morning, I think is exactly exemplary. 85% of the days that of Bitcoin's market action are down yeah. over the last decade, 15% are up. And yet, if you look at its absolute performance, it's the best performing asset on the planet in that period so, of time of any size. And so then we option. It, it, its volatility is, is guaranteed to be the case. And in looking at that on a risk adjustment, bar models are not built to value options. That's just simply put. I'm not saying that there's no value to it. I'm saying that's why I, I want to finish, Mike, because it, there are two hugely important implications of where you're right, right? Number one, don't use freaking leverage when investing in a volatile asset because on a risk-adjusted basis, you're going to get stopped out every time. Well, not every time, but a large percentage of the times. 
So you're 100% right there. Second, diversification matters. It matters. I don't think any sane human being thinks that you invest grandma's retirement 100% in an asset that is that volatile. And so you're absolutely right. It's about it's a small allocation for most portfolio asset allocators that we're talking about, and obviously larger for professional funds who want exposure, but it's different. So in those two areas, I totally agree with you. Okay, now you now um, so I'm I'm pointing out um, the known knowns of Bitcoin is what you just said. It has been the best performing asset in history of mankind. The problem is it's not a baby anymore, and it grew up during the a very an unprecedented period in history. I used to read History of Owner, Interest Rates by Sidney Homer. I'm sure some of you might have heard that book. Going back thousands of years, we've never had a period like this. This is where it's significant. The point is, in the last few years, it has been showing the maturation that some of us completely expected. From the minute you launched futures, you started that cash and carry arbitrage. So for expecting, the key point is that's what's happening now. Once it gets in the mainstream, that arbitrage kicks in. And the main arb right now, the big macro trade is this GBTC versus shorting anything you can. It's been working out great this year. I fully expect that to continue. But what it does is, but what it, does is it squashes the volatility. And we have to point that out as people getting in it now, expecting the returns you saw in the past, is completely irrational from an, an asset now that can be arbed out. And it's still a lot more room for arbitrage. You're like, once you get rid of that discount in GBTC, and and all the, the futures, it's just a matter of time. And the point I like to point out is this volatility that is two to three X gold in the stock market should drop to one and you actually should get towards that of gold if we expect this to do what it's supposed to do, digital form of gold. And those two, three, four X years are gone, they're over. Partly because people are so involved now. It's just the way these assets work. And I remember pointing this out to an ETF provider who deliberately um, did not try to launch a futures ETF because he said they are the the futures are too wide. I'm like that's what ETF does. It squashes everything down, and those days of that outperformance are just gone. It's just unless you expect um, the more participants not to make this asset more stable and in the mainstream. That's my point. Bitcoin's in a maturing adult now and what you saw it doing on the football field when it was a kid is over. Now it's got to play adult and it's becoming rapidly doing that. Here's a key thing I'll end with. Bitcoin volatility, we all point out it's dropped this year, but actually versus the stock market in gold, it's up. Why? Because volatility, everything's collapsed, which shows complacency. Well, that part's true. I mean, I, I think we should get back to macro because I, I, you know, and some of the stuff I'd like James to talk about because we've been dominating it, but Right. I, I will say that I will stick a line in the sand and say Bitcoin is at best a toddler. Forget being a high school student on the football. <laughs> I, I was going to agree with that part. Absolutely. <laughs> at best, a toddler having fits. Yeah. Look, all you have to do is look at the history of money. I mean, I always come back to Voltaire. You know, paper money eventually returns to its intrinsic value, zero. Uh, and, and understand that, you know, we are in a, a period of time, we are in an experiment that started in 1971. You know, that is not a lot of time in economic history, right, to understand where how the fiat experiment will go. And we've seen a few really interesting things. We've seen gold mm -hmm. do something that people probably didn't expect. They've seen it completely almost demonetize silver. Silver trades like an industrial metal now, not a monetary one. Didn't used to. Thousands of years of history, silver and gold traded together. Gold-silver ratio is has exploded. Okay, and and it's for a reason. We've seen gold 
over this period of time. Talk about unprecedented. Gold dramatically outperformed platinum. Look at the price of platinum compared to gold. Platinum is 30 times rarer, actually has industrial use, but they because of its scarcity, <laughs> decided not to use it in form of, and, and palladium got used instead. It replaced platinum, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, because it, it and therefore palladium's price outperformed platinum weirdly, even though platinum is scarcer and rarer. I mean, still we have worlds where you see the gold, you know, you have the silver, the, the gold, and the platinum standard. The platinum is higher, except for platinum is half the price of gold. Why? Gold is still considered a monetary metal. <laughs> My thesis is Bitcoin will do the same thing to gold that gold did to platinum and silver. And that has turned, James. with any of the other stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I, I, I partially agree with both of you. Mike, I, I don't think that uh, Bitcoin has grown up. I think Bitcoin is, it, is uh, it's still in its infant phases, you know? I mean, it's not even half a billion dollar asset, you know? I mean, half a trillion dollar asset. So when you look at that against gold and we start talking about asset allocations and large asset managers reallocating their portfolios, especially as we come into a recessionary period, I don't care what Goldman says that there's only a 15% chance of a recession. I don't know what they're thinking, but uh, onward. But you know, when you start reallocating your portfolio, you've got huge swaths of cash that you've got to move around. Well, you know, gold is, a, is one of those buckets that you can draw from immediately to get liquidity and 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 many asset managers have large allocations to gold you know so what whether it's paper or whether it's an actual physical gold and um you know they 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 do have that to reach into and bitcoin they don't have so bitcoin i agree with you mike it's 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 the tip of the spear it's still just a trading asset you know and and like dave is saying it it, it trades like an option when we start having a sharp downturn I fully expect Bitcoin to rip lower. And if, it, if it's a V recovery because of uh, Fed speak or because it's something that breaks and we have to have some sort of uh, liquidity uh, injected into the market, re-enter QE, I don't know. But uh, I do expect it to be at the tip of the spear again. It's just the way it's been. It, it's too small to act like an actual asset allocation yet. And it's going to take a little while. So that's From my there, I want to I do want to dig and, and James, listen, we were talking about this right before. I do want to dig into China and what's happening there, because I think that it, it is worth uh, discussing because it's all conjecture. What will happen to Bitcoin if we see a collapse? But first, we have to see that collapse. So we have to talk about what could potentially make that happen. Right. We've got Country Garden pays dollar bond interest within grace period, but barely with a penalty. Right. And we already have people now, the narrative coming out, China slowdown means it may never overtake U.S. economy forecast shows. Now, I was young, but this reminds me of uh, when we thought Japan was going to take over everything and then they didn't. Uh, maybe that's wrong. Maybe Michael have want to talk about that after. But James, yeah. do you think, I just want your quick takes on what you think the meaning of this all in, in China is. is. Is it hyperbolic? Does it really affect us? Or is this really no. signs that something's coming? No, it's not hyperbolic at all. I mean, China has a uh, real estate problem. You know, we've already seen uh, their, their one major real estate uh, company collapse. And this one, you know, it, it's trading as if Country Garden is trading actually as if it's distressed already. Right. Um, it's trading like nine to 10 cents on the dollar, if I'm correct, Mike. Um, and, Something you know, like I mean, it, 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 it's fully expected to collapse unless the government comes in, 
the Chinese government comes in and gives uh, enough stimulus to really shore up that market. And I, I, that amount of stimulus is going to be massive. The problem is, though, you, you've got China, you've got Japan all sitting on U.S. treasuries that they're trying to monetize uh, and use those dollars, right? But the issue is that the those treasuries they own are they're they're impaired. They're down 10, 20% from where they bought them. And so they have far fewer dollars than they expected when they do go to the market and sell those. It, it is a major problem. And as the US dollar gets stronger, it's only worse. Right. Because the interest payments become higher, obviously. So right. So Mike, I mean, what do you and, think? And so, and right. when they go to sell their bonds, it, they're worth even even less, right? Right. I, I, I've, I've enjoyed that narrative since I've been in the business. So what happens when so-and-so sells their U.S. bonds? And now the deepest market in the planet um, with um, rates well above inflation, um, I, why, why would you sell those? And where are you going to put your money, what, whatever those, what you sell, we're going to put that into yuan bonds or even European bonds. It's, it's just right now it's unstoppable. And to me, that's what's happening with China right now was way overdue for just normal reversion. It grew well too fast. We saw that happen in Japan. It has inklings of that. It has inklings of the Soviet Union. When we peaked, we grew up with that and has, you know, I, every day I read of what's happening in uh, China is just what, I read in Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand like a couple decades ago. It's not China. It's one person. So that's why I had to put out that headline a little while ago, unlimited friendship versus ticking time bomb. So you know things like this, all they typically need is a trigger for reversion. We've had one of the best triggers, I think, in history. Two leaders, unlimited friendship, <clears throat> exactly the opposite of what Nixon tried to do when he used China to help us win the Cold War as a counterbalance to the Soviet Union and complete agreement in both aisles of Congress in this country, the GMTFO with China, get me the heck out. It's, and the data is extraordinary. What's happening with US imports from Mexico with reshoring, onshoring, it's just completely politically correct to do anything positive with China right now. And if you do, I say good luck because you have to have a direct connection with Mr. Z because he drives everything. And the data is just normal, what you expect. And then now you can dig into the nuances of each little, um, what's going to collapse next or what's going to just mean revert next. But this is what always has happened in history. An economy grows too fast. And then first of all, how far it's gone, what got it there and what got it there is completely reversed. Um, U.S., Europe, they just completely pissed off their best customers with this war. Now, when, it, it, and it's still a hot war and a cold war at the same time. I just, I, I went to under, I'm, I'm all, four of my kids went to the University of Connecticut. And a little while ago, I had a chance to sit next to the president of University of Connecticut. She said, the problems that we, had, we have had with Chinese students and nationals trying to steal data is shocking. And she couldn't say it publicly. Um, and it's, I've had it a problem 20 years ago to form. We have one of our former employees who left the firm who's hacking into the NASA system. So this to me is just getting started. It's going to be as bad as the peak of Nikkei 1989, and it still has not gone above that level. And that's where I cannot be so bullish any risk ass, particularly Bitcoin, because most of the trading for this asset comes from Asia and China and that wealth creation that's just simply reverting. So 
this to me is a macro big picture. The, the weeds of the property crisis, I let other people dig in. I read about it, but I'd like to end with one headline I, I read this morning from my colleague, Simon White. He's a macro strategist. The biggest threat to global liquidity is China. And he points out things I've been pointing out, how M1 and M2 money supply in China is completely dependent on, the world is dependent on these, and there's very little chance for them to rise. So here's my essence for my why is that, Mike? Can you explain that? Because uh, I think the general impression is that China well, just started cutting. The, yeah, exactly. Well, they're cutting. They're trying to provide liquidity. But what they're doing right now are trying to catch a falling knife. There's really not much they can do. Right. They have. We, it, it, there's a crisis of confidence internally. There's one person. It's not, again, it's not China. It's one person. What they can do is maybe Mr. Z gets up in the morning and say, okay, sorry, the war was a bad idea. Putin, you're out. Let's have free elections. We're going to do democracy. Maybe I can be one of those streets. And we're going to go for a free market, rest of the world, and open up our markets. Boom. That would do it. That's not going to happen. But that would that's what's kind of somewhat needed here. It's just unstoppable at this juncture without something above a paradigm shift. So money's being taken away. It's imploding. And there's nothing to stop it. And that's what I look at. Bitcoin is the leading indicator for everything. So that's part of my base case that this is the biggest economic reset of a lifetime. But it's completely systematic, logical, normal based on the pump and liquidity. It's unprecedented. And then you take it away. All lessons of history show you that that's when markets go down. Now, they've started. They've bounced. A little bit of hope. <laughs> and I do, I do love this question when people say it's going to be a soft landing. I'm like, where in the world is there going to be a soft landing from this the, this coordinated central bank hike hikes from all these central banks? They're still hiking. Oh, yes, deflation's kicking in. Unemployment's starting to go down. That's what always happens. The key question is what stops these bodies in motion? Unemployment starting to tick down. Mon farm payroll starting to go down. People not hiring as much. Housing going down. The stock market rolling over. The Fed's still hiking. They're just bodies in motion. They're not going to stop. It's going to take a lower plateau in risk assets typically before the Fed's going to start. And here's a key thing that'll happen the rest of our lifetimes. Anytime there's pressure for the Fed to ease, there'll be pressure like Germany in the last 50 years that, oh, you can't ease because of inflation you created when you eased too much. Uh, what I want to know, James, before you talk, is if Dave's going to return that chair because it's still got the tags hanging from it. <laughs> Dave gave up. He just gave up. He was like, "Yeah, you guys, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I need more coffee to get." Yeah, you, you know what? I, I just read something about China um, has probably reached peak population here, where they're going to lose 240 million workers in the next 30 years. I mean, so, you know, talking about China becoming the, the largest uh, economy in the world, um, you know, and being completely dominant, I, I think that I think that ship has kind of sailed. Uh, and, you know, we, we we don't have to talk about the one child policy and all that. They've, they've made their they, they created this problem. And like Mike said, they've got, you know, a, it, it's one person. So. You know, I think I think with with regards to the United States, we just keep hearing over and over and over again. People talk about the labor market. So, you know, um, I was reading the, the Goldman opinion this morning uh, about uh, the, you know, 15 percent chance of a recession. And they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're like, the reason that we're going to have 15, there's a 15 percent chance of, of a recession that we're lowering our likelihood of a recession is because we think the Fed is going to they're, they're going to take their uh, foot off the brake. So because the numbers came in kind of Goldilocks that, 
you know, the, the, the unemployment numbers came in, in a Goldilocks scenario. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, you're kind of talking on both sides of your mouth. If you're saying that, well, unemployment is, is it, it's rising, you know, employment slowing, wages are, wages are rising slower than, than, than inflation, then the, the Fed can stop raising rates. I mean, this is all pointing to a recession. It's not, it's not as if the Fed is just going to, they're going to pivot and start lowering rates. We're going to start seeing the effects of raising 500 basis points over 18 months now where the lagging effects are coming. And so it, you, you, I just, I just cannot believe that we're not going to hit the skids here at some point pretty quickly. And the unemployment rate doesn't, it doesn't just tick up and then tick back down. That just, it, that's not the way it works. You know, <laughs> you have a company that goes out of business and we're seeing more and more bankruptcies every single, every single day. We're seeing more and more bankruptcy, bankruptcies and some, at some point it topples over and you get a large company that you suddenly have not just layoffs, it, they go bankrupt. Those jobs are lost. It's 20, 30,000 jobs lost at a time. And when that starts happening, and then it affects everything, you know, every, every single part of that supply chain gets affected. So it's not like when, when Yellow went out of business, right? When they, when they go to reorg or they go chapter 11 or, you know, and, and they just shut their doors. That that can easily be absorbed by all the larger trucking companies. That's not that's not that it, it's not that impactful, but is a signal of that's the direction we're going. And so, you know, I we I would expect unemployment to just tick up higher a little bit at a time until it just skyrockets. It's just it, it's just reality. That's the way it works. I mean, is there the chance here? Okay, I think we all are in agreement what we think will happen. So let me ask this question. At what point would we be convinced that the Fed managed this, that there was a soft landing? <laughs> is there is there a line at which, because by the way, whatever that point is, that's when everything crashes. We all know, yeah. right? When, when, when the, the final bears capitulate, that's when we uh, get the crash. But um, is there anything that, any data that we could see, any metric on the stock market, any line breaking a so, new all-time high on the stock market? Would any of these things say, oh, they did it? Awesome. So here, here's the facts of that, Scott. There's part of the lose-lose I view is the if you look back, I've gone back hundreds of years. Is that every single of the stock time the stock market was down 20%, the Fed was starting to ease or easing. The only example is 1988, right after the stock market crashed, because on a 12-month basis, it has had been up from that low. It's always the way it has happened. The Fed will ease when the stock market tells them to. It's the number one measure of risk and atmospherics on the planet, and if it goes down, everything follows. So that to me is what's the lose-lose right now. Powell's is in a poor place in history. He kept rates too low. I mean, when we were going to die three years ago, and then we got vaccines, we're fine. And now he's raised them too much using it. Um, and just, there's nothing good here if you study any monetary um, cycles in history. So typically what it takes for them, the, the problem right now is there's no reason for the Fed to start cutting rates because their measures that they're really watching in personal consumption expenditures, employment cost index, around 4% target two are very sticky and will lag and they will go zero in my view but they're not going to cut until they start really declining which means there's only one key thing to make them stop raising rates anytime soon or at least have the ford futures which i see right now for november price at 5.43 
and the rate right now is 5.33. For that to go down, you need the stock market to go down. There's the lose-lose, and that's my view is that Bitcoin's picking up on that. That makes sense. I, Dave, I, okay, go ahead, Dave. I'll just let you go. I can see your face. Well, so you got something. I mean, I, I was with Mike up until the last sentence, and that tends to be the case every Monday. So without reprising why I don't agree with that, I want to go back to China versus Japan because I think it's really, really important to understand something. And uh, I am not so sanguine about this. I think the fact that China is on pace to within three years, I think, turn out double the number of stem cell graduates at the United States, uh, stem cell, stem, uh, you know, uh, discipline graduates in the United States uh, is very, very different. Uh, Japan rose to financial dominance on the back of a mature, smaller population, already matured population uh, with Koretsu, i.e. cross ownership and government control over the economy and in clearly topped out. The fundamentals in China are different. They have dramatically more people and they have dramatically more of a, a passionate commitment to AI and technology. And Japan did not. Uh, Jap Japan at that time was sending their best and their brightest to work in the United States as interns, et cetera, to try to learn stuff. China is actually trying to educate their best and brightest. That is different. Uh, I agree with you about Xi uh, being in control, but his approach has been different. There's actually weirdly less bureaucracy in China than there is in the United States for, for building new companies. Uh, the government wants that to happen. They take their cut. But it's like people compare. I mean, my I, I, I often recount the fact that my grandfather was a bookie and managed to get out of the mob without uh, extreme prejudice when he decided or he did not think the point shaving scandal was going to happen. Now, why do I mention this? It's because back in those days, the neighborhoods in Brooklyn where the mob existed in the Bronx, they paid protection money. Their protection money was lower than those same businesses are paying in city taxes and getting less protection today. Ask the small business owner from that era, you know, what they thought of the of the of the actual organized crime syndicates in their area. And generally it was a favorable thing. And, you know, you can't and I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is true. The fact is, it is when you start looking at tax rates, you start looking at government bureaucracy. I mean, this administration is adding more to the Federal Register than any in history and, and not by a small amount. And that is a very, very big deal. And we're talking about global macro, and you're saying the U.S. has divine right to being number one in the world. The answer is we would be unless we continue to strangle business by regulation. I mean, I, I don't know if you love we in crypto love to talk about the SEC and Scott, you're 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 you know, you're all over that. Well, there's a great editorial in the journal this weekend about uh, about what they're doing with private equity. Do you realize that they're about to, the SEC is, you, you think they care about the grayscale lawsuit relative to the fact that six private equity firms representing a $27 trillion market are saying the SEC has declared war on private investments? And I mention all this because it's not that. the SEC. Oh, it's a huge deal. That case is going to, I mean, crypto isn't even a footnote in what the SEC is about to get into in terms of courts. But why does this matter? Because we have regulations in every single federal agency, whether it's for environmental or pseudo-environmental science or whatever, doesn't matter. The fact is, is there's enormous amounts of regulatory red tape being added, which on a relative basis is actually worse here. 
So, yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of power in American innovation. I agree with Mike and democracy is generally good, but democracy fails when the majority realizes they have the ability to vote the wealth of the vote themselves, the wealth of the minority. That's a very famous quote, but it is certainly true. And the more polarized we are and the more we're looking for a going down the barrel of a rematch of two people, neither one of which should be anywhere near the levers of power. Uh, you know, we, I'm not so sure that, that you're right about that. Now, all of that said, you are where you and James are talking about the, 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 the foolhardiness of soft landings. I mean, the only thing that's causing careening us towards a soft landing is the fact that unlike past eras, fiscal policy and monetary policy are literally working at 100 percent cross purposes. Right. We have a wildly accommodative and expansive fiscal policy at the same time as this, quote, liquidity reset you keep talking about. And you're not wrong in what you're saying. You're absolutely right, of course. But at the same time, every other time, you didn't have deficits that are just exploding upward. And what is a deficit? A deficit means we are literally employing more people by the federal government. We are literally spending more money than we have by numbers that are just historically mind-boggling. And so, yeah, I mean, the monetary policy side, the, the the liquidity side is absolutely right from a monetary point of view, but fiscal policy is not. Fiscal policy is the polar opposite. And that's Arthur Hayes' basic point. He's saying, well, fiscal policy is incredibly accommodative, and rich people are taking advantage of that interest rates to have more money. And yeah, I mean, I think that, that we're getting towards, we're literally doing the exact thing that's causing the wealth inequality that the people who want to spend money use as a justification for spending money. Arthur gave a great speech at Korean Blockchain Week yesterday or, or in the last couple of days, effectively outlining exactly that and how the interest rate uh, relationship between Bitcoin interest rates is breaking down. I want to ask you guys something. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but while you were doing this, I was looking at the uh, chart that I bring up quite often, which is black being the uh, SPX. Blue being yield inversion, yield curve, and red being Fed rates, right? So when, when they pivot. We've talked about the fact that usually we get a yield curve inversion, then a Fed, Fed pivot, then we see stocks crash, right? And I kind of brought the point, what would give us an indication this time is different, the, the most famous words. I was looking at this while you guys were talking. And interestingly, the last, the, in the last 40 years, the most we've ever seen, the longest time we've seen this yield curve inversion, 455 days. And by the way, most of the time it wasn't. Here, 333. Here, 423. We're currently at 458 days inverted. And the current yield curve inversion is lower than any of the previous times it's ever been inversion still after 458 days. So we're at historic lows for the amount of uh, inversion. Also, when I was looking at it, every time they've kind of raised rates, the stock market's actually gone up. Right. The, the pivot so, up, you would think that while they were tightening, which is all of these on the way up, that the stock market would have gone down. But once again, it's when they pivot, the stock market generally crashes. And I just found that really interesting. I had not, not something I had really paid attention to on this chart. You can see that every time they're hawkish and raising rates, the stock market is rising. So you, you showed part of my base case that in a very simplistic, rational expectation of history and its market cycles, the S&P 500 should go back to about 3,000. Um, typically, they don't start hiking rates until, of course, inflation's there and the market's quite stable. 1994 was a good example. I was trading treasuries. That's when I first came to New York and traded treasuries. That was a really good rate cycle that worked out well. It was part of that internet bubble and then it continued. It was fine. 
this one's so much different because it's on the back of decades of really low rates, low inflation that all was triggered and flipped with the biggest pump in liquidity ever that's dumping. So what you show me there, Scott, is a very simplistic reason that the market is going to go back to around 3,000, which is from never forget where you came was right where we were before this biggest pump in liquidity ever and rates are still on the way up by this point the key thing is you look at you with those little circles there when they started the ease yeah they started the ease you can see it right now 2001 and the market this, did, by the way that yeah and the market didn't bottom till till a year and a half later they started easing in september 2007 and the market didn't bottom until 2009 around march so i don't know when it's going to bottom but i and confident that I think the S&P should go back to around 3,000. Now, if it doesn't, that would be wonderful. And if it does, that to me, it's part of the reason we're seeing Bitcoin start to underperform. By the end of this year, it should be more clear. Yes, it's been really delayed, but we've had things that have happened that have never been in any textbooks ever. They We're writing history now. And yeah, that's my point. Had, when you look at this, I mean, yeah. this is the, the yield curve inversion. Yeah, now, when I look at this chart, and it's just a chart, but... You can see why people keep kicking this recession down the road, right? Well, and so okay, obviously and that it, makes people say there won't be one because there hasn't been one yet. But this yield curve has to eventually uninvert. <laughs> I mean, it, gets it will, but it's, summer, it's right? what Dave said. It's, it's, it's what Dave said. It's just, remember, we've had midterm elections. It's what Dave said. We have this massive fiscal pump. And part of the reason, of course, Biden need to get you know, pump up for the, the midterms. And we've had this war, had to pump in money for that. But what's been the result of that? The Fed's... The key area, I've been wrong. I never thought the, thought the Fed would tighten this much. But now that they have, the rules of the effect of tightening will kick in. And if they don't, yeah, economics, the rules of economics has changed. But the one key thing I want to push back on what Dave said a little bit earlier, we have elections in this country. We can completely, potentially, completely flip our government in a, in a couple of years. And it usually happens because of what Jeff Booth says is everything we do is based on error correction. You don't have that in China. And Z, there's no error correction unless he's taken out or unless Mr. Putin's taken out. Until that happens, in this country, we can flip it on a switch and maybe in a few in this election, which is going to be a lot of fun. And that's part of this Great Depression, I think, kicking in. Because if we have these two old guys running, most people will say, just get me out. I mean, the, the, the thing is, uh, regime change is a huge narrative, obviously, I think for crypto, right? Because we have the regulatory yeah. side and a, and, a, and a less aggressive SEC. I think everyone's consensus. Would regime change change what's happening at the Fed, right? I, or, or the Treasury? And I, I don't think no. this can be fixed no. by simply no. changing no. parties. Right. No. Yeah. Look, we, 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 we've taken on another $1.5 trillion of debt over the like summer. <laughs> we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're at $33 trillion basically now. You know, and and at the same time, the Fed is drawing as much liquidity out of the reverse repo as they can. Right. They're just issuing T-bills, T-bills, T-bills. They they mature and they issue more. It, they're running this race and they're trying to draw out as much as they possibly can. But at some point that stops. And at that point, they, they run into a liquidity issue in the, in the Treasury market. They're they're it, it's it's exactly what you guys are both saying is that they're you know the the two policies are are fighting each other and at some point one of it's going to break it they it, one is going to win and we all lose <laughs> literally so and that's what that's kind of where we're headed there that's the direction we're headed in yeah I mean I, I wish I I be, I could believe in the power of democracy for the next uh, the next two years uh, <laughs> I, I I believe in the power of the democracy over the next ten Mike. 
you and I are totally aligned on that. Uh, but I think that we are careening down a path of a lot, you know, effectively it, it, it looks, it's bad. I mean, I, I'm very concerned about it. I mean, you know, I, you know, people have talked about like the grand bargain. If, if I, I would be, you want me to flip completely bullish on everything, a grand bargain happens and the Republicans and Democrats decide we're going to impeach both and pardon both <laughs> and neither one could run. And, and let's, and let's get a new election that, that doesn't have, that isn't being held hostage to cults of personality. But yeah, it still doesn't matter, Dave. It doesn't matter because you're, you're, you're going to continue to run deficits. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, doesn't, that's yeah, my point. Yeah. It doesn't change fiscal monetary policy. I don't really think so. You're just going to continue the only way this country to run runs. deficits, which are inflationary, and you're going to continue to raise rates, which is, yeah, exactly. There's an old expression. The only way out is through. At this point, <laughs> there, are two things, there are two things that are baked in the cake. I don't know when, but there are two things that are baked in the cake. One, massive... Uh, a, a massive, maybe one shock like they did in 1933, deflation, you know, in inflation, excuse me. Uh, I mean, what Roosevelt did in 1933, and you started with this, Mike, so I'm going to come back to it, was yeah. it was two things. First, it was the largest theft of assets from the American people uh, ever, ever. I mean, he literally stole in today's dollars, trillions of dollars from Americans and just said, okay, this is not, it's a one-time tax. I'm going to take all your gold and I'm going to move it up by over, 50. I mean, it was literally from 20 to 30, 20 to 33, actually. 30, yeah. Yeah. So it was, more, it was like six, he stole 60% of their money, all of them from everyone who was holding gold. It was theft. And he did that to reflate the treasury. But of course the deficit was so much smaller back then than it is today. I mean, yeah. so, not even close to the same size. So what the, 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 there just aren't those assets to steal. You could literally take, seize the assets of all the billionaires in America and it still wouldn't plug the hole. Of course, that would become less productive, et cetera, et cetera. So the only way out is through some massive uh, inflationary event at the same time as we unleash the power of true markets to grow which means yeah. you know, dismantling the regulatory state hook, line, and sinker. And that is, I mean, look, it, it's early. I mean, Vivek is talking about it and others are talking about it. Trump actually talked about it. His two for one was probably people underrated. I mean, whatever you think of Trump as a human being, and, and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, the fact is, <laughs> the single thing he did, he did two great things. In foreign policy, he put some people in to do you know, two amazing things in uh, in both Kosovo and the Abraham Accords. But more importantly, the two for one regulatory. People don't focus on the regulatory state, but but every single estimate from both right and left side think tanks show trillions of dollars of breaks being put to the economy by what's going on in the regulatory state. And that's what has to happen. But at the same time, even there, I don't think there's enough growth that gets us out of the fact that we need at least a massive inflationary shock which is because there just is you're not paying back, you know, 200% debt to GDP. I mean, the example we have and you use 200 Japan, Dave add in the uh, the unfunded liabilities. Well, it's 130 <laughs> without the unfunded liabilities. The the most aggressively positive in you know estimate I've seen is 200% if you put in the unfunded liabilities based on means testing and all sorts of things that they're going to cut it down. But anyway, we look a lot like Japan. What did Japan do? They've had three decades, four decades of managed yield curves. 
in order to try to deal with their their debt to GDP problem. And they basically right now they own more more government bonds than any of anybody else in the world. The 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 you know the Bank of Japan owns more JGBs than anybody. Right. And so and won't the and won't the U.S. Treasury? I mean, won't the Fed uh, own more uh, U.S. Treasuries exactly. than anybody coming exactly. down the road? Eventually. Isn't that the inevitable it, it, path? Well, you just drew up a nice case scenario. I think point. we're going. My point is, is that it's a manipulated market, and so that's what we're dealing with. And we're all sitting here talking about a market that we're all admitting is highly manipulated. It doesn't mean you're wrong, Mike. You're absolutely. I mean, you're right. I mean, there are risk assets out there that are massively overvalued and don't understand anything of what you're saying. You're you're totally crew. There are traders oh, we'll who, who say, "Oh, you're old and you're wrong, Mike." And oh yeah, I love it. But <laughs> I think that's most my favorite. People, Going Which one? That you're old or that you're wrong? Both. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a package deal, James. I, mean, I, get, I get both. I mean, I don't care. I mean, where we disagree is is not a new paradigm. We disagree in a new asset class. I think Bitcoin's ultimately part of the solution, but it's so small. I agree. I don't see it as a leading indicator, and it just, so, it's just too small for that. But it has been. It's so there's bar none, and we all can agree. And there's no more widely traded. 24/7 asset on a global basis I've ever seen that's no one's asset no one's no one's project no one's responsibility I mean I've never seen this I used to work in the trading pits and we'd have to shut down and have my customers would sue the exchange because they shut down because of a you know a, an act of God um, but so that's my base case is Japanification we have guidance for all this we have guidance for severe deflation let's look at the number one measure of heat electricity and fertilizer in this country it's dropped 90 percent 80 percent from last year's peak Natural, it's the same price as first traded in 1990 we create more with less every day so this is my you're fitting in it is fitting in my base case. We have a, had the biggest pump in inflation ever on the back of liquidity. It's going to revert. The history books are going to say, well, just reverted back to a normal deflationary liquidity dump. That's what we're in the early process of right now. Everything that is at risk goes down, which includes the best performing asset in the history of mankind, Bitcoin, unfortunately. And then it comes out ahead at some point when we have an FDR come in and say, okay, enough's enough. We're going to devalue or do something. To me, that's the tra trajectory right now with one big dif difference. I admit we have the deficit issue, but there's one major entity that will and can and buy that uh, that debt, i.e. Bank of Japan in this country, the Fed. It's happened before. The point is, this is a normal cycle. Remember that great resignation? It's normal, expect that to tilt over to a couple of years from now, say, oh, darn, my job was replaced by AI. I have to read tool reach job and oh by the way unemployment's just got a normal trajectory up from 3.5 towards six it's what it's always done but it's never been this case we've had this much tightening on a global coordinate basis ever and the number one engine of economic money supply and demand pull on a global scale in the last 10 years china is going down it's distant well this unstoppable much tightening on this much leverage too mike it's it's also how levered the entire fiat system is and that it's and true that, yeah it's key point. Just to follow up on that is I do love when people have been trading for 10 years, tell me I'm old and I'm like, great. I just remember respecting this old trade. It's like, yes, you have not seen a life when in a true bear market, when you think it's over and it goes down, you've not seen life with zero interest rates. But go ahead, Jim. Sorry. That's right. No, we're, we're experiencing over 10 years of ZERP, right? Zero interest rate policy. Yeah. And, and, and the young traders, they've, they've never seen this. They've never, they've never witnessed leverage like long-term capital management blow up overnight, yeah. literally just overnight when interest rates go to a certain point, boom, and that's it. And it take, and that's, 
that's contagion and that's where you have uh, the interest this that kind of credit event that topples things and that that's what that's what concerns me so you know scott when you say talk about um find a goldilocks scenario where we actually do have some sort of soft landing that my my issue with that is that i think that the 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 probability of having a an a, a, some sort of credit event because of exactly what mike is saying we we are raising rates on a global scale we're raising in into the face of of having so much leverage from the government all the way down there something will break they're going to keep tightening or hold interest rates tight to. enough until it does now you're seeing in europe there now europe is is talking about well do we have to start lowering rates because of <laughs> of their manufacturing data yet look at their inflation still right so what happens then when if they start lowering rates and the dollar starts ripping against the euro i mean it, it, it's just scenarios for disaster everywhere and just off the backside of what Dave was saying with the yen, you know, I mean, like there, there are just too many disaster scenarios for me to believe that we're just going to land that jetliner on the piano string. I just can't see it. You invoked the uh, DXY talking about the dollar potentially ripping. I'm not saying that will or will not happen here, but anyone who does care about technicals, it's actually for the first time this year shows looks like it could legitimately break the uh, 50 MA here on the on the weekly, which is showing strength. And whether you count this little wick or not today, it has just made the first higher high in this entire cycle down. So anybody who viewed the uh, bull, the dollar to be in a bearish trend, uh, you better be watching to see what happens throughout it's the week because the most expensive to short currency based on the planet is U.S. dollar. I mean, good luck being bearish that one. I mean, the, the best of a bad bunch. I mean, you know. There you go. Exactly. That's where gold Bitcoin fit in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it's, yeah, it's the best of a bad bunch. And it's, it's important to understand that where our knife edge disagreement is, is I think Bitcoin is basically all the fundamentals of Bitcoin line up as it, when the ETF is approved, then money managers can do allocations. And I think then you will start to see gradually, it's not going to happen immediately. I mean, let's say people who, you know, Bitcoin traders are like, you know, are, are, are like animal spirits. But when you have 75% in long-term holdings, I mean, the, on the margin, you're right. It, you're going to get another. I mean, we, we'll see it again. I mean, you know, it's going to be like the boy who cried wolf. I did that in my, my weekly recap a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Every day you get the news, it's going to go up. And they're going to look around. And it's going to be like Wiley Coyote going out over the, you know. People aren't following me. Oops, boom, down. And then, but but the trend will keep moving. It'll be higher highs and, and higher lows. But, you know, look, things don't change overnight. Liquidity in, in, in reallocation doesn't happen overnight. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously chances of, of pullbacks. There's obviously, you know, if there's a crash, gold, Bitcoin, everything will will go down. I mean, if we do have it, I just think that the chances of an asset crash when we have so much money being pushed into circulation by deficits being run by the entire Western world, I think we're overestimating that. I think that what what we're seeing is actually the you 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 mentioned Atlas Shrugged. We are seeing the death of the real economy and a hyper in hyper you know uh, increase in. Uh, financialization and financialization means asset go asset prices go up beyond productive capacity because there's no place else to put that money 
That's absolutely fair. But in, in the meantime, when you do have all assets correlating to one, there will be a drawdown. And that's the, but it's, it, Mike said it, I think last week, it's really difficult or impossible to time those things. That's so right. to your point, Dave, you know, as you see Bitcoin or you see gold it come down opportunistically, you can add to those positions and just, right. and, and just hope that you get the best, uh, you know, average price that you can, but you're not going to time this V recovery because uh, it has to be V. It has to be a V recovery a la 2020 March, April. Right. No, no chance. I mean, Mike, Mike is pointing out structural issues that are you both are that are hugely important. I mean, th this is not a prescription for a V, you know, bounce. This is prescription for a uh oh, uh, we screwed the pooch here and we need to retool policy. And, and which is exactly what happened in the 70s, which Mike also talks about. It's very important. I mean, you start looking at, at, at the stuff that happens. <laughs> Sorry, you got me on that one, Dave. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, go back to 72 you know, when we were talking about windfall profit tax, just at the exact same time, the oil companies, uh, you know, were, they, had, they had gotten us to the most part out of the energy crisis and they start talking about windfall profits. And we haven't even talked about oil. It's a, it, did it hit 90? Uh, and somebody, it's, and it's, somebody asked, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at CL, but I'm seeing 87.23. Yeah, now. so Saudi Arabia and Russia reiterated their uh, cuts, which is the is with the, who are their customers it's not the u.s this helps the u.s i mean we're the best we're the best biggest energy producer and net export this hurts their customers who saudi arabia china <laughs> this is so bad for the that macro china it's and just, let's talk okay. about oil next week i think that's uh we we actually mike i know you love it and we haven't really touched on it and where it's going we we kind of uh passively yeah. keep saying commodities crashing commodities crashing you know yeah. but uh, maybe we should actually dig into what that means one of these weeks sure. i think it would be really uh interesting for, for the audience there's the comments over here are great the candidness between dave and mike is so fun and to the core absolutely love it yeah i think the best part about this show is that uh, we've all been around each other now uh, long enough even you james uh, you know uh, obviously uh that nobody has any filter anymore which is just beautiful <laughs> well one I of the things i love is when someone content. says I, well i've been doing this for 10 years i look at him like okay well you got to say 30 because the last 10 years will never be repeated in history um it's just such an aberration yeah and and yes. and to to that point uh that applies to you know i've been around a long time but bitcoin has not been around much no. longer than 10 years so as mm -hmm. much as i love to say you know and it is my base case is uh we all wake up in a year and go oh it's six months after the having things are looking good right that's my base case because it's happened we only have a couple cycles to uh you know to to, to look at it and, and it will be volatile in between it. it will be volatile in between it yep. will be volatile <laughs> perfect all right 1002 okay, we cool. did it uh all right so guys next we'll be back next monday uh on the actual macro monday but uh there was nothing i was going to come up with uh for a tuesday that was going to be better than uh, what we missed yesterday so i'm glad we did this <laughs> guys thank you so much for joining always a pleasure everybody else we will see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m eastern standard time bye guys just